Isaiah chapter 5, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. And this is the last chapter of what's really a, a five-chapter preface to the book of Isaiah, uh, where it really gets started, if, if I can use that uh, term, in, in chapter 6. He receives his call, and things get a little more specific, but he's given us these five chapters of a, of a preface, uh, an overview of you, if you will. And this last chapter is perhaps the uh, grimmest of, of the preface. Uh, we'll break it up into two parts. Uh, today we'll look at the first seven verses. We could call this the Song of the Vineyard. And then we'll take the larger section and probably a little more grim section uh, next time, uh, we'll, we'll take verses 8 through 30, and you'll notice there's a lot of woes in there, or bewares, uh, depending on your Bible translation. But, but we'll start with the song of the vineyard in chapter 5. And, and who's singing this song? It's a song. It says that. And, and who's singing? And there's uh, some speculation. Is it Israel or, or Judah? Um, I like the idea that this is Isaiah, the prophet himself, who is singing. And uh, there are some who, who believe or speculate, I should say, that, that he's probably singing this or could be singing this at the Feast of Tabernacles after they have brought in the, the first fruits, if you will. And, and, and the vintage is there and a crowd is gathered and the prophet Isaiah sings this song, which would be neat to hear. Um, I'm not going to sing it for us. Uh, but I will read it. And so let's, uh, I will read uh, Isaiah chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this song that Isaiah gives us, these words that you speak to us, Lord. And we ask that we will 
take them to heart and that you will speak to us, our souls strengthened by your truth, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this idea of vines and fruits uh, is found throughout Scripture. You're probably thinking of other places in Scripture where you can find this idea of, of the vines and, and fruit. And, and even uh, when we open the beginning of Scripture, where do we find Adam being created? In a garden. It all starts in a garden and with fruits. And, and he's told to take care of the land. And, and then there's the fall. And that produces thorns and thistles. And by the sweat of his brow, he's going to have to start producing crops for himself. And, and as we read through Scripture, we kind of see that that's not just the plight for man, that he's going to have these difficulties along the way, but also it's the plight of man. There's thorns and thistles among us, and our hearts can be kind of thorny sometimes. It's the plight of us. In Ezekiel chapter 15, he talks about um, vines and he mentions that vines are either good for fruits or good for nothing, basically. Good to burn. Either you're good for fruit or good for nothing. And, and the Lord's people, as we see in this passage, are his vine. And so this uh, truth applies to us as Isaiah sings this song for his beloved who we find later on in the passage, his beloved, is, is the Lord. We'll come to that, but here's this song for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. And when we start with these first two verses, there's so much promise. Imagining, as I mentioned before I read it, if Isaiah is singing this uh, near the temple or in the temple, and he starts with this song, and there's people around. They would probably really love these first few lines. It's beautiful, and it's it's wonderful. My love song for my beloved concerning his vineyard. It, it's beautiful right up until that very last phrase of verse 2, but we'll get to that. But he sings of this, his beloved who had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. Uh, when we get to verse 2, there's five verbs uh, that the Lord does for his vineyard, and we're not going to allegorize all of these verbs uh, or try to find uh, New Testament symbolism, if you will, and what it means that, that he dug and, and cleared it of stones and, and planted choice vines. But it, it's not like that. What Isaiah wants us to do is, is see this picture. Uh, it, maybe standing in an art gallery and there's this beautiful picture on canvas and, and you're looking at it of this beautiful garden, a vineyard on a, a very fertile hill, very fertile. The soil, good black soil, perfect for a vine to grow. 
set on this hill where it will get the perfect amount of, of sunlight when it needs sun and rain when it needs rain. And, and he dug it. He, he worked the dirt, if you will. The Lord does all the preparation, and, and it's beautiful. You know, when I uh, read, he, he dug it, I, my mind drifts back to when I was very young, and, and as I've mentioned before, I'm from up north in, in Wisconsin, and, and we had a behind the garage was our garden. And when my dad would come out with the tiller, you know, the old hand tiller that would till up the ground. And, you know, in Wisconsin, it was a great sign because it meant your 10 months of winter was over, you know, and you had a couple months now of warm weather. And, and But you would till that ground and it looked beautiful, that black dirt, and it looked kind of soft and fluffy. And you just wanted to take off your shoes and run through barefoot. And if you fell, who cares? It was a soft landing. And, and the Lord dug this garden, beautiful dirt, all ready to be planted. He cleared it of stones. Now, by the way, I have some not-so-fond memories of picking stone out of field. I don't know if anyone's ever done that. Some guy's pulling a wagon behind a tractor, and you trudge along behind and pick up these rocks and throw them in the wagon. And he always wants to go a little faster than you're able to pick up the stones. And you're wondering, how small do they have to be before I can just leave them? And then some clown on the other side of the wagon leaves a half dozen stones, and you got to run back and pick them up. And, uh, but the Lord's done that. You don't have to worry about that. He's done it all. He's cleared it of the stones. And, and he planted it with choice vines. The, the beloved has picked these vines himself. It's this perfect setting. If you're on a hill looking at this garden, it is perfect. He's done it all. And he built a watchtower in the midst of it, and that, that watchtower uh, signifies that he's so confident, the beloved is so confident of the crops that are going to grow, he builds this Solid residence, if you will. It's not just a temporary tent that he's going to take on and, and move on later on. It's, it's this solid residence. He plans to be there permanently. He builds this, this watchtower, and he hews out a, a wine vat. Not a wine press where they would press the grapes into wine, but, but a, a vat. Uh, once again, it, it has this idea of permanence behind it. The crops are going to be so good. He builds this, this permanent storage place because this is good. The garden's perfect. He's done it all himself, and he looks for it to yield grapes. He looks and he waits confidently. You get this idea almost of this restful expectancy. Everything has been done perfectly. And now sit back and, and wait for this great harvest, this, these great grapes that are going to come. He, he looks expectantly, optimistically, but it yields wild grapes. Now, 
this word that in my translation gets uh, translated wild, um, that word could also be um, defined as a stinking or worthless thing. In fact, one, uh, one commentator, he called it stink fruit. Here he's expecting some great grapes and he gets stink fruit gets these wild, sour grapes. And, and if anyone has ever had a wild, sour grape, when you're expecting a good one, it's jarring. It's one of those things where your eyes kind of bug out and you feel like your face is going to implode. Your mouth just doesn't quite know what to do. It's a face-contorting torture. When you have this sour wild grape, you're expecting a good one. And that's what's happening. Everything had been prepared for these wonderful grapes. And he's getting sour grapes. These wild ones. The vineyard owner has done everything perfectly. The harvest is terrible and useless. Uh, Franz Dielich, who was a uh, German Lutheran theologian and, and great with the Hebrew language, great Hebraist uh, from the 1800s, uh, he notes that the difference uh, between uh, a wild and a domestic vine is really a matter of care. And uh, Mathieu, J. Alec Mathieu, picks up on that point, and he says this is exactly the point. And he asks the question, what can now be done for the people of God when a total work of grace has been lavished on them and yet they remain as if grace had never touched them? The Lord lavishes this grace and this work into them and it looks like grace had never touched them. In Jeremiah uh, chapter 2, the, that prophet, he asks uh, the same question uh, as he's speaking God's words. He said, I, I uh, planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? And, and that's what the prophet Isaiah is, is asking as well as he speaks for the beloved now, the, the vineyard owner. The, the Lord, he asks a couple of questions, basically the, the same question that Jeremiah asked. And, and he says in verse 3, Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. And here we're back to this idea of just judgment again that Isaiah had mentioned before. Okay, people, let's see who's at fault here. Let's see where this all went bad. And when we look at it, there is no conceivable blame that can be attached to the owner. He had done everything right. The beloved had done everything. The blame must lie somewhere else. And that's what he asks, what do I do in verse 4 that I haven't done? When I look for it to yield grapes, why 
Why the wild grapes? What more could possibly have been done? Everything perfect for your advantage. And why the wild grapes? And then the song gets terrifying as Isaiah continues. In verse 5, he sings these words for Judah. Now I will tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I'll remove its hedge. I'll break down its wall. And you'll be devoured and you'll be trampled down. I'll take away your security. I'll take away that hedge of protection. I'll take away the wall. And you won't stand a chance. And as I've mentioned before, when we've gone through Isaiah, this happens. Babylon comes and tramples down Judah and takes them into exile. They are destroyed. The external foes uh, will come and devour and trample. But it even gets worse than that, if, if that's possible. But before we get there, remember this perfect picture we once had. Remember this beautiful garden we were once looking at. Perfect soil, perfect sunlight, perfect plants, perfect amount of moisture, perfect walls around it. But now it becomes quite different. And if you were to map out this passage, verses 1 through 7, and and kind of look to see how verses are all related to each other and how they build and then kind of come back. And, and uh, you would notice uh, in that outline how verse 2 and verse 6 are related by contrast. Because all of this work that was put in by the beloved in verse 2, now we get to verse 6 and no more work's going into this. In fact, we're going to undo what's been done. I'll make it a waste in verse 6. And it shall not be pruned. It shall not be hoed. All, all of that work from before, and we got nothing good out of it. We're done. I'm not going to prune it. I'm not going to hoe it. Briars and thorns shall grow up, and and again, uh, that takes us back to Genesis 3, as I mentioned earlier, that idea of thistles and thorns. And the clouds, they're not going to rain rain upon it. And clearly, here's we see the, the Lord, because who else can withhold the rain but the Lord and the rain, that the blessings of creation, the blessings of nature, if you will, are gone. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, in verse 7, is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are the pleasant planting. And, and here Isaiah is really singing to the people, and they're now getting it. And now at this time, Israel and Judah weren't getting along. Israel fell before Judah did. But Israel was, was chosen, and, and, and specifically Judah then, once they split, Judah was, was the pleasant planting, the one given every advantage. 
and and he's expecting something from this crop. He's expecting justice, and he's expecting righteousness. But he's not getting either. Judah, this pleasant planting, specially privileged, if you will, by the beloved, this expectation of justice and righteousness, and that's not what he gets. And Isaiah has this great grasp of the Hebrew language, and, and he's a master with it. And he actually, there's rhyming going on. He uses uh, a couple of words uh, that rhyme, uh, that really bring out the impact of it. For the, the Hebrew word for judgment is mishpat. That's, that's Hebrew for judgment, mishpat. But instead of mishpat, he gets mispach. Mishpat is what he wanted. Mishpach is what he got, bloodshed. And that, that translation, bloodshed, is, is somewhat loose. It, it's a hard word to, to really translate. But righteousness, he wanted righteousness, which in the Hebrew is zedekah. He wanted zedekah, but what he gets instead is za'akah. He wanted mishpat but got Mispak. He wanted Zedekah, but got Za'aka. There's this rhyming going on. Instead of justice, which would be the righting of wrongs, he's getting bloodshed, the inflicting of wrongs. That's really what that's getting at. Righteousness, this right living, which would lead to right relationships. Instead, what we get is this outcry because of wrong living and wrong relationships and the anguish of the oppressed. And this rhyming here indicates what Judah would have been doing in their mind. You know, we're close. It sounds a lot alike, doesn't it? Mishpat and Mishpak. We're close, right? But as he rhymes these out, what he's pointing out is you think you're close in your head. You can make it sound good but you're nowhere near what I was expecting. Nowhere near what you should be. You can make it sound close, but it's not. And as we look ahead then in Scripture, and many of you are probably already at where we can go with this passage, because Paul picks up on the very same ideas, if you will, in Galatians uh, chapter 5. And Paul writes about the works of the flesh. He talks about sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry. And, and then he'll go on to things like enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions. Does this sound familiar to anybody? He'll talk about enviness or envy and, and drunkenness, things like these, the works of the flesh. But then he follows up, but, but the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the fruit is love and joy and peace, and patience, and 
goodness and faithfulness, and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And then he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And we in Christ should be able to bear the fruit of that union with Christ, the fruits of the Spirit. And Jesus talks about that in John chapter 15 when he tells his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. And whoever abides in me, I am in him. And then he it is that will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. A little later on, he says, but by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so we check our own hearts. We see what what's do we have here? Do we have the strife and the dissension and the impurity and the division? Or do we have the love and the peace and the patience and the kindness because we are in Christ. We are branches of his vine. The Puritan uh, Thomas Manton, there we have the highest motives to allure us, the strongest arguments to persuade us, the greatest terrors to affright us, Yet the soul will not yield. Oh, what sweet motives have we to come to God. God outbids all the world. What will you have more? You have my son to die for you, my grace to help you, heaven to reward you. God hath contrived a sweet plot of grace. And I love how he puts that. God hath contrived a sweet plot of grace. And it's in Christ. And even on that day, that day of judgment, God will be able to say, I did everything perfectly. It was Christ who died on the cross. I lavished all this grace upon you. Why the wild grapes? Why the wild grapes? We get this call to remember this great grace that God has given us, as he mentions the Son to die for us, his grace to help us in this world, and heaven to reward us. A sweet plot of grace it is. Let's abide there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we do thank you for these words of grace. These words of warning, Lord. Help us to see the wild grapes in our hearts. Those areas of immorality, those areas of strife and dissension and divisions, Lord, that we can weed those out. Weed them out for us, that we may be filled with your fruits, your peace and love and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. All those things we have in Christ, Lord, help us produce that in an abundance for you, our beloved, for you, our Savior, our Lord, and our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.